0: The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Okay, before we um, hear from this psalm, let's, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, quieten our hearts now and give us listening ears. Father, give us a heart that is willing to hear you speak to us and willing to hear you confront the the worries and anxieties of our life uh, with the truth of your grace and your care. And we pray, Lord, that this would encourage us to follow you uh, through this world and into... Uh, your eternal home. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if any of you here have ever felt the need for a personal security guard. Okay, I'm sure most of you actually probably have at least one point in your life. kind of wish you had someone who could be there, <laughs> someone who could defend you uh, from some very difficult uh, situation or even a difficult person. I know I've been in that situation at least one time uh, trying to help someone in a a mediation situation. Uh, It was very scary. Uh, But I doubt any of us would actually go out and hire a personal security guard. That seems a little bit extreme. You know, we're not the rich and famous. We don't have the um, you know, the paparazzi or or crazy fans trying to uh, mob us uh, every day. And apparently a, um, a good personal guard will actually set you back at least $800 a day. Now I start with this idea of a personal guard because that's actually what is at the very heart of Psalm 121. The key word in this psalm, you may have noticed, it's, it's this word keep, uh, keep or um, keeper. Uh, That's the key word right at the center. The Lord is your keeper. And this word keeper or keep, it's actually the same word that can be translated as guard. Okay, The Lord will guard you. Uh, It's the word that could be translated as watch over. So it's the idea of a bodyguard who watches over you, uh, who protects you, whose number one concern is your safety. Okay, the Lord is your keeper, your watcher, your bodyguard. And so Psalm 121, it was written to actually assure you that as verse 5 says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your keeper. So that's what we want to think about today. And the psalm, it gets this idea across With four stanzas, each stanza has two verses each. And that makes up four points, which will be our four points today. Uh, That that God is our keeper, that his help is accessible, that his help is constant, that his help is unfailing, and that his help is complete. So that's that's Psalm 121. Let's look at these, these four points. First, God's help is accessible. It's available to us. Uh, We see that in verses 1 to 2, where it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, the hills in these verses, this is likely uh, talking about the hills that surrounded Jerusalem. So uh, it's likely that lifting the eyes to the hills then is actually speaking about the beginning of a a long journey traveling to Jerusalem. And the reason I say that is because of the title that this psalm has. Did you notice the title, A Song of Ascents? And that that title, that's actually, uh, there's 15 psalms uh, with that title. They start from Psalm 120 all the way to Psalm 134. 15 psalms that are part of the Song of Ascents. And song of ascent. Uh, ascent means to go up. So songs for going up. But going up where? Well, most likely to Jerusalem. Uh, every year there was annual feasts that were held at the temple in Jerusalem. And so all of God's people all scattered all across the land of Israel. Every year they would have to travel the, this long journey to Jerusalem to where God's presence was encountered in a special way. And so Psalm 121, when you read the content of of the psalm, with this idea of looking to the hills, it it seems like this is the psalm that you would reflect on just before you began that journey, or even as you started. This is the one that you would sing to yourself as you walk out the door on your way to the, uh, the annual feasts in Jerusalem. And you need to realize, for many, that was a very difficult journey. They didn't have cars back then. And this was a journey that for some could take days. And it was really just you against the elements. You know, you've got no car, no air conditioning, uh, no caravan. You can't tow your caravan with all the luxuries of home uh, inside that van. It was just you against the elements. And so as you stepped out the door, as you lifted your eyes up to the hills, and, and thought about that journey ahead of you, you know, who knows what trouble you would encounter? Who knows what, what issues you would face along the way? And so what assurance would you have that you would arrive safely at your destination? What was the assurance? That's what this psalmist is asking. From where does my help come? How will I know I will make it? And the answer... My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, that's an incredible statement right there. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Notice how this, uh, that sentence puts together something extremely small. My help with something incredibly big. The Lord who made the heaven and the earth. Hey, just think about that for a minute. Think about the earth. How big is the earth? Apparently, it's 12,742 kilometers across. That's very big. And God made that. He made it simply by speaking. And here's this thing, 12,000 kilometers across. And uh, then you think about the sun which he also made by speaking which is 109 times bigger than the earth, uh, wider than the earth and then you think about the milky way galaxy that is apparently 1 billion times wider than the sun so it's you know the mind cannot gra- uh, grasp just the size of the galaxy and god made that by speaking can you even imagine that That's how powerful God is. And so when this psalmist asks, where does my health come from? My health, my little health, this little tiny need I have, comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. Okay, I think God's got you covered if you need help. Okay, you can rely on Him. And so as these pilgrims would lift their eyes to the hills, thinking about the journey ahead, you can imagine how comforting it must have been for them to be able to, to sing this psalm and to meditate on these words that my help comes from the Lord. Okay, He's going to get me there safely. Uh, but what about us? How, does, how do these two verses apply to us? Because we don't make annual pilgrimages to um, the temple. All of that's been fulfilled in Christ. We have all of that in Jesus. And so how do we make use of Psalm 121? How might we use it? Well, when we turn to the New Testament, you actually realize that all of this language of pilgrimage, you know, journeying towards Jerusalem, the New Testament actually takes up that language and applies it to the whole of the Christian life. Okay, the whole of the Christian life from beginning or from conversion all the way to the end, either death when you go into the presence of Christ or until Jesus comes again. That whole life, thats thats it's depicted as a journey in the New, in the new Testament, a journey to Jerusalem, not, not the literal Jerusalem, but the heavenly Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, for example, it, it says uh, that our citizenship um, is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. Or Hebrews 13.14 says... Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Okay, that's speaking about the new heavens and the new earth. And we know that because at the end of Revelation, what do you see? You see that vision of the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, or the new heavens and the new earth. And it lasts forever, and they're all of God's people from, from every part of the universe and through all of the ages are all raised from the dead and, and all gathered together to be with the Lord forever in that new heavens and new earth. And see, that's the destination that every single believer in Jesus is heading towards in life. All of life is a pilgrimage to the new Jerusalem. <clears throat> and uh, the Bible also tells us, though, that, that just like those pilgrimages back in back in the Old Testament, the, the, the pilgrimage of life, it's hard. Okay? It's a path marked with suffering. It's not supposed to be easy. This is a fallen world. We're, we're aliens and strangers in this world longing for our eternal home. And so the path is going to be a difficult one. You have an enemy who, who does everything he can to make sure you don't make it. Your own heart causes you to stumble along the way. And so what is the assurance that we will get to the end? How, how will, we, will we survive the journey of life to make it to the new heaven and new earth? It's the same answer that's in the psalm. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So what does that tell us? That, that actually tells us that we can't make this journey on our own. We can't do it alone. Okay, we've got to actually put to death that, that idea that I can do this in my own strength. No, we can't. <laughs> okay? But God can. It's God who gets us to the end. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. See, that's your assurance. That's how you know you will make it to the end. It's, it's God. My help comes from the Lord. And look, I know it's easy to forget this. Especially when life's going well, you forget. You think, I can cope on my own. And then something bad happens, and you think everything's out of control. It's all a mess. No, no, we need to come back here. Where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Uh, A commentator on this um, psalm uh, named John Calvin, uh, he he actually... (laughs) He had this wonderful application that I thought I'd just read out because I couldn't have put it better myself. He says, even though we know our help is in the Lord, and even though that we know the Lord is our source of security, when danger surrounds us, we tend to look here, there and everywhere but the Lord for our security. And so God in his kindness has the psalmist ask the very question that we need to ponder so that we can see where our trust really ought to be And make sure that we place our trust in the only source of confidence. Okay? Don't look anywhere else. Your help is in the Lord. See, this psalm, it's it's given to us. We're supposed to take hold of it and memorize it even. Memorize it because that way it's inside of you and you can think about it. Okay? Where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. That's where I want to put my confidence. So that's the first point. God's help is available. God's help is accessible. You can reach out to Him and find Him. That's the first point. Now, the second one we see here is that God's help is constant. It never ceases. And you see that in verses 3 to 4, where it says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. And so there's some good news here. The good news is God is not like us. He doesn't get tired and need to have to take a a break. Uh, God is not like, uh, you know, we're talking about security guards. Uh, Whenever you watch a movie and there's a security guard depicted, what is a security guard doing? They're normally sitting in front of a a heap of TV screens, supposed to be um, keeping a watch, but what are they doing? They're always asleep in the chair every time. Uh, those poor security guards who watch movies—they must think, "Man, everyone's thinking we're lazy." Uh, you know, they're not really worth the 800 bucks a day, after all. But see, God is not like that. He's never asleep on the job. He watches constantly. That's what the point of these two verses is. And that would have been particularly—that uh, would have stood out particularly to the Israelites back in the day as they made those pilgrimages because they were surrounded by nations that had pagan gods. And the pagan gods were really just super versions of humans, really. Um, kind of like you know the Marvel um, Cinematic Universe with Thor and all this. They're, they're not really gods, and yet they call them gods. Um, but they're just super humans, really. But what happens when you've got pagan gods? Well, those gods did need to have a nap. Which means that when things went wrong, you assumed oh, that God must be asleep or must have gone on a journey. Um, or remember the, remember the um, How Big Is Your God contest on Mount Carmel with the prophet Elijah? You know, whoever's God answers by fire, he is the real God. And you've got the prophets of Baal there. They're calling out to Baal. You know, hear us answer by fire. And they're slashing themselves. They're trying to get their God's attention. And Elijah, he starts taunting them. Hey, what's wrong? Maybe your God has gone on a journey. Maybe Baal has gone to the toilet. Uh, Maybe he has fallen asleep. And uh, there's no answer. Why? Because there's no one home. There is no such thing as any other God. There's only one God. And he never falls asleep. That's why when Elijah just simply prays, bang, fire comes down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, and all the prophets of Baal fall on the ground. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And see, the Lord, his attention, so he's saying he doesn't sleep, which means that his attention is constant and his attention is personal. That's what verse 3 brings out, where it says, uh, He who keeps you will not slumber. And, and the you there is in the singular. Okay, It's you as an individual. You personally. The Lord keeps you, little you. He has his eye on you constantly. Keeps watch over you at all times. And, you know, one level that's very comforting, isn't it? But then at another level, it does raise a problem. Because what about those times when it seems like God has fallen asleep? What about those times when uh, trouble hits and it feels like God has left you, that he's no longer watching? What about those times when you pray and there's no answer? What then, what do we do with that? You know, sometimes we can feel like those prophets of Baal crying out and and nothing happens. And even some of the psalm writers felt that. There are are at least two psalms where the writer of the psalm, uh, Psalms 35 and 59, where the writer cries out, God, wake up! Why are you asleep? And sometimes we know what that feels like. And when that happens, when you really boil it down... It can only be one of two options. Either God is like Baal, and no matter how much you try to say, wake up, there's actually no one home. Or, as the psalm affirms, God is there. He isn't asleep. In fact, He is answering your prayer, just that He's answering in a time frame, and in a way... That right now you don't understand or you can't see. And that, of course, is the perspective of this psalm. It's the perspective of faith. See, the purpose of this psalm is really to, to grab you by your hand in the middle of all your fears and worries and to lead you and to take you to that place of confidence that you realize that, hey, even if I can't see the answer that God is giving, I know that He's not asleep. I know that he is listening. I know that he will never ignore me. And therefore, the answer must be coming. The answer must be on its way. It must be better than I could ever ask or ever imagine, which is what Scripture affirms. And when you get that, you don't despair. Okay? A non-answer is not a non-answer. It's a delayed answer. And so what do you do? You keep hoping, you keep walking by faith. And one day that faith will give way to sight. And then you will see. You'll see that the answer was there all along. And sometimes that sight won't actually come until the very end of the journey. Until you finally get home and are able to look back over all of history. And then you realise just how incredible God's wisdom and His grace actually is. See, God's care is constant. You can cry out to him and know that he always hears you because he doesn't sleep and he doesn't slumber. Okay, so God's help is available. God's help is constant. The third thing we see in this psalm is that God's help is unfailing. It's unfailing, and that is in verses 5 and 6. The Lord is your keeper, it says. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by, by day, nor the moon by night. Now again, let's think of original context. So the Israelites, they had to journey to Jerusalem at least once a year. Uh, and for, the, for them, a big problem that they faced was the sun. Okay, it could get extremely hot. And uh, there they were out in the elements. Too much sun, sun exposure could lead to heat stroke or sunstroke and the only uh, relief from the heat of the day was shade. Okay, shade was the answer. And I can actually remember, um, I don't know if you've ever been to a place called the Grampians uh, in the western part of uh, Victoria, Uh beautiful place uh, with the mountains, um, but I tell you, it can get extremely hot in the summer. And one time I was there with my family in the summer, and on this very hot day, we decided to walk up to the pinnacle in the middle of the day, as you do. And it was so hot. But the wonderful thing about walking up to the pinnacle is that there are these huge rock caverns that you get to walk through. And as you walk through them and you place your hand on the rock wall and you feel in the shade, and it feels so cool to touch, and there is nothing better than leaning against these rock walls in the shade to escape the heat of the sun. It's just the relief that it feels. It is just wonderful. And see, that's what the writer is capturing in this, in verse 5. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. It's, it's like the idea of a cool shade on a hot day. The relief that you feel, that that reminds the writer of this psalm of the relief it is to know that the Lord is with you, to know that you can turn to him, for help uh, the Lord is your shade on your right hand <clears throat> and that's actually what we need because when you think about the pressures of life in many ways they feel like the beating sun which is a little bit hard to imagine this time of year I mean what could be better than a nice sunny day but in summer if you're out in the sun it's beating down on you it's a, it, it just drains you which is what the pressures of life do what do you need? You need shade. It's the Lord you can turn to. He is your shade at your right hand. <clears throat> but notice in verse 6, it says the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Now, think about that. What harm can the moon do to you? It's not like we can get moonstroke. Uh, although there is the word lunatic, which luna comes from the word moon. Uh, but it actually helps to remember that this is poetry This, this is, so the sun won't strike you by day, the moon won't strike you by night, it's a word picture to convey a feeling and the feeling that it's conveying is that it doesn't matter whether it's a problem in the day or in the night, these things cannot strike you okay, you're safe from all the harms of the day and those things at night, which is probably where the, the real trouble is. Because what happens when um, you know, anxiety strikes? It doesn't strike in the day. It's usually at 2 a.m. in the morning when you're meant to be asleep, but this problem is keeping you awake, and no matter how much you try to get it out of your mind, it just keeps spinning around and around and causing so much distress. See, so the moon by night, it speaks of the fears and anxieties that, that attack you in the night. And this psalm is saying that what do you need then? You need the Lord, the shade. You need need Him. He he is the one who will protect you. But what is that actually saying? Let's just think this out. What does that mean practically? That that nothing will strike you by day or by night? What does that actually mean in practice? Uh, I'll tell you what it means. It, It can't mean... That you'll never have a rough day. It can't mean you'll never have a rough night. It can't mean that you will never be struck down by an illness or even a a, a life-ending disease. It can't mean that God's people will never be struck by um, some great loss or some tragedy because those sort of things do strike God's people all the time. And so how do we understand this? What does it mean that that the sun won't strike you by day or the moon by night? Well, we have to remember that this psalm, remember it's about a journey, and ultimately it's about the journey to the new Jerusalem, our heavenly home. And what, what this is saying is the certainty of that destination. You know, the certainty of having God as the shade at your right hand the keeper who guarantees that you will get to the end, if you know you've got that, then there is a sense in which nothing can harm you. Okay, In the big picture, when you finally cross that finish line, see, nothing can harm you if you're guaranteed to get to the end. That's what this is saying. That's what it means that it can't strike you. And uh, knowing the certainty of that destination, what that does, it actually takes the sting out of all tragedy, takes the sting out of all pain, all suffering, and even death itself. Do you realize that? The sting of death has been removed if you have the Lord as your keeper. Now, isn't that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15? That the sting of death has been removed at the cross? You know, Paul, he, th- he thinks about the end of the journey when finally we're raised with Christ and what will be the victory song that everyone will sing? Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? It's gone. We have the victory in Christ. See, the sting has been removed. Do you know, many um, years ago, uh, when YouTube was a new thing, uh, there was this video... With, that had a baby in it who was about um, six months old, you know, just sitting upstage. And the video was of a baby playing with a cobra. Okay, a real live cobra. And, you know, as cobras do, it was up like this and it was constantly striking the baby, constantly biting the baby. And, and surrounding this baby were all of these um, adults all looking and laughing, having a great time, thinking it was hilarious. Even the baby itself looked to be enjoying itself. Here it was trying to grab hold of this moving cobra as the cobra was striking it. Now, I'm pretty sure that video has since been removed because that's clearly cobra abuse. Uh, But I'll tell you what was clear the whole time, to put you at ease, What was very clear, this was a pet cobra that had had its fangs removed. And so no matter how much it it tried to bite the baby, it couldn't harm the baby in any way. In fact, the baby seemed to... to take it like a tickle. It's just like you know this thing doing this constantly. And the whole time the baby was trying to grab the cobra, eventually it did grab the cobra and did what every baby does whenever it gets its hands on something, tried to put it in its mouth. That's the point that some, uh, that, at which someone intervened and took the snake off the baby. But uh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> but no matter how much the snake... Struck the baby, it was only ever a tickle. And do you realize that that is what Jesus has done to death for every single believer? Jesus has defanged death. So even though death still strikes you, you know, all of us in this room one day will die, unless Jesus comes back first, but we're gonna die. But what is death for the believer? It's really just a tickle. Okay? Because the sting of death has been removed. And so death for the believer is it's merely a gateway into the eternal presence of God. And it's this this gospel hope. Okay? How has Jesus done that? How has Jesus removed the sting of death? By being struck in our place. See, the sting of death, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, it's actually the judgment for sin. That's the sting of death that we all deserve. The judgment for our sin on the cross, Jesus was struck with that in our place so that when we take shade under him, we're set free. So we can sing, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? It's been removed at the cross. And with that gospel hope, knowing that that's at the end of your life, that hope, it takes away not only the sting of death, but it takes away the sting of all pain, all tragedy, all loss. The sting has been removed. See, 80 years, let's say you have 80 years of hardship in your life. And that 80 years is followed by eternity of eternal joy in Christ's presence. What happens to the 80 years? It's not such a big deal after all. See how Jesus has removed the sting, not only of death, but of all suffering. He set us free. And that's why the Apostle Paul, who had a very hard life, that's why he could say in 2 Corinthians 4, That we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. And here's the one that comes from the psalm. He says, struck down, but not destroyed. Okay, the things of life still strike. But it's been defanged. It's only a tickle now. We're set free in Christ. And so here's, a, here's the wonderful assurance for you. That if you belong to Jesus, then you have the assurance that ultimately nothing can harm you. You really are kept. You really are safe. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can snatch you out of the Savior's hand. Do you realize how safe you are? And that's what verse 5 is all about. The Lord is your keeper. Okay, that's what it means to have the Lord as your keeper. That you're safe in Christ. The troubles of life have been defanged. They can't destroy you anymore. And so that's the third thing. God's keeping of you is unfailing because of the cross. So we have God's help. It's accessible. It's constant, unfailing. And finally, we see that God's help is complete. And that's in verses 7 to 8. And I'll be short with this one. It says, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on. uh, No, sorry, from this time forth and forevermore. So notice the scope of those verses. God will keep you from all evil. So that's everything that can harm your soul. He will keep you uh, You're going out and you're coming in. That's all circumstances. And he, from this time on and forevermore, that's all times. So um, I don't know if you've ever had to search for um, insurance before. Um, when you're searching for insurance, you have different levels of cover. And uh, the more you pay, the, the better the coverage is. So you can get comprehensive cover, okay, which is meant to cover you for comprehensively for all things, um, complete cover. And that's what this verse is saying. You know, if you've got the Lord as your keeper, then you have complete cover. All evil, from all evil, all circumstances, all times. But again, we need to remember that this needs to be understood in light of the gospel. In light of the gospel, this is not promising immunity in life but it is promising security, eternal security. And this is the way that the Apostle Paul understood this psalm. And I'll tell you why. Because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, uh, Paul wrote that letter to Timothy at the very end of his life. He was just about to face trial, which he was pretty certain would result in his execution. And um, before the next hearing, he wrote to Timothy um, that at my first offence, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. And then he went on to say in verse 18, The Lord will rescue me from every evil and bring, bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And when you hear verse 18 in light of Psalm 121, you realize what Paul was thinking about because he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil. And that sounds exactly like this line in Psalm 121, that the Lord will keep you from all evil. See, that was Paul's comfort in facing certain execution. He could look at that and not be, not be troubled, because he knew the sting of death has been removed at the cross, and he knew that on the other side of death that he would be brought safely into Christ's heavenly kingdom. And see, that is the confidence that you can have as a believer in Jesus. That is, it's guaranteed, because Jesus rose, so we too will rise. And that means that God's care of you is guaranteed in Christ. He will be with you to the very end of the age. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You can trust him. You can turn to him in your need and know that he will hear you and help you. See? So I just want to speak quickly to those, today. if there are some here today and you're not trusting in Jesus, You don't have the Lord as your keeper, what have you got? What's going to be there at the end of your life? Nothing. Okay, but if you have Christ, what is there in your life now and on that last day of your life? He is, and he will keep you safe. Do you see how much you need Jesus? That's what this psalm is about. The Lord is your keeper. May you grab hold of him. May you rest in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, so much for this psalm, for the beautiful words that assure us that we're never alone, that we're never on our own in all of the troubles of life. But we thank you, Father, that uh, you are our helper, And you're the only helper that we can truly depend on. The one who made heaven and earth is the one who sets his love on us and is there for us at all times. Father, help us to trust you. Help us to to keep going on this journey of life. And help us, Father, to never take our eyes off Christ, but to fix our eyes on him and to run the race that he's prepared for us And we thank you, Father, that we can run with courage because we know that the end is guaranteed. Lord, we pray for those who are enduring uh, great trials and suffering at this time, that this would fill them with uh, such confidence and such joy, that it would just lighten those trials just that little bit so that they can keep going. And Lord, we pray uh, for us who are feeling like life is going great, that we wouldn't take our eyes off Jesus in that, but we we'll always be looking to him. And we ask it in his name. Amen.